Welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life podcast on a very special day. Today that we're recording is Memorial Day, and it's an important day for both Peter and I. Uh, Peter is a veteran. His father is, was a veteran. My father was a veteran. And we recognize today and honor all who have served for their sacrifice and for uh, what they've given to help preserve our freedom and our country. Um, we also want to acknowledge uh, the many caregivers of veterans who uh, are taking on the challenges that these veterans have with them at home, physical, emotional, in every way. Um, they are sacrificial in their own way. They can inspire us. How do they do what they do day after day? Uh, we're going to look at some of that today. So welcome again to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today, we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a nice start. And uh, I honestly feel that this is usually the day that I'm most touched and inspired probably most of the year. This year, of course, when I couldn't go to the Veterans Day uh, commemoration here in Sonoma County because of the the isolation that we have to experience. I miss it because that really touches me. I see such a diverse population of folks that have been touched by um, military things and wars and battles. And uh, to me it means a lot and uh, I'm very touched by it. I know that I've personally have lost some friends in, in uh, Vietnam era, Vietnam War, and uh, I didn't go overseas, they did. I was in the services in a, in a training, a, a, a infantry training unit, and most of my friends did go overseas. And uh, I lost some of my very good friends who actually, when I look back on it, were a lot better people than I was at that time. But it left a, a, a great imprint on me as I matured and grew, grew older. Um, I knew their widows very well since childhood. So it, I followed it, and we were, you know, it impacted me. I saw their children who never knew their fathers. And, you know, it, it touched me deeply. And uh, um, I'm still touched. Maybe not quite like I was then, because I had a great deal of guilt, survivor's guilt, they call it, and I had plenty of it. But anyway, today is different. Um, today we have Veterans Day. Memorial Day, actually, I'll just throw. I it call in. it. Yeah, but I call it. You call it Veterans Day. I call it Veterans Day. Okay. Yeah, to me, it's a, it's the day of, of commemorating veterans and those that have given their lives. Um, so to me, it is a Memorial Day for them, and it's also a Veterans Day, and I see both in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, I think. And um, but anyway, um, you know, we've done, last episode that we did. You know, we do a, sometimes we do a lot of preparation because there's a lot of good material out there that we that we study that we take in that inspires us or educates us 
And I think last week we had taken in so much information that I couldn't figure out which one to go for first. So it, I, I, I felt fragmented. You know, there was a lot of good stuff there that I wish I could have said it all. This week, I'll be darned. I, I said I wasn't going to do that. And I sat down and read a number of very good articles. And I, th I think I'm, a, I'm overwhelmed again by the good material. There is a lot of crossover. And it, what really interests me is a lot of these folks are saying the same things that we've been saying for a long time. And um, it, only they say it a little differently, and I like that. Um, but it, the theme seems to be the same throughout, that through difficulties, suffering, challenges, crises, there's a resilience and a strengthening that can come out of that. And that's what we talk about all the time, how that can happen. Um, what people can pay attention to. We've been, we live that, we work it. Uh, we help many people, have helped many thousands of people over almost 50 years. But I think that one of the things that uh, strikes me is when I read how other people say these things and add to it and say some very meaningful things. And I just keep, I just keep picking up different articles and I, I enjoy them some more than others. A lot of them are saying the things that I do know that, uh, that I see and that I believe, and so do they. So I think one of the things that really touches me today, there's a, a, a theme throughout, and that is, what is it that, even through these very difficult times, which is a, a, a world crisis, pandemic crisis um, with this virus, um, what is it that people can get out of it? What is it that it does what is it that the challenges, we know the negative challenges, um, the isolation, not working, financial crises and crunches, uh, people who have, who have actually gotten sick, family members that have lost loved ones, over what near 100,000 deaths just in the United States in six months. That's enormous. There's no getting around it. It's enormous. And I read the stories that are so touching um, about the frontline workers and what they see and what they go through, um, and how some of them are, some of the stories I read are so deeply touching because they know the family members can't be there as their, their loved ones are dying in the hospital. So here are these folks who are dying, they're with strangers, they're with nurses and doctors. And um, some of these nurses, I, I, I know it's not all, but some of these nurses are so human and so heartfelt that they have more than just the medical knowledge. They have something so special. They have an empathy and a caring that's so human. And I love those people. I think they are, they are heroic in the best sense of the word. And I've read some beautiful vignettes of stories of some of these nurses and how deeply touched they are to see what, what's going on when, and to be there for some of these folks that are dying from the virus. But yet, these nurses go on. The ones that really uh, touch my heart are the ones that know that they've got to let down at some point. They've got to take care of the emotional impact and the energy that they're absorbing from their caring ways and their empath empathic ways. Those are the special nurses and doctors for sure. Um, and I, I love them and I appreciate them for doing that. There's others that aren't that open and uh, they're, they're a different breed. They may, they're, they're essential and they're very bright and attentive, but yet when it comes to that very special quality, not everybody has that. I love the stories of hearing these folks that do, though, and that they do have to 
sneak away and take time to let down from the impact of some of these tragic stories that they're they're seeing. And uh, I've read some wonderful op-ed pieces about them. I don't know, very touching. But we also know that we've been talking about something that we call the extraordinary reality for quite a while now. The extraordinary reality is what we live in and what other folks live in who are on the front lines dealing with sickness, dying, and death. And um, you can imagine, that's the, that's the one thing, the one condition of life that most people are, certainly in our country, are going to go the other way. And that we are, our whole society is geared up for distraction from that and keeping busy so they don't have to face that and deal with it. Unfortunately, that is a vulnerability and a fragility um, to our culture that we are now coming to face head on with this crisis because everyone is being confronted with the disease, you can't get away from it, and that people are going to die from it. But I think more importantly, what's, what really sticks out is that we're, we're forced to face the reality of that we're all going to die someday. Death is real. And it's an interesting phenomenon. When it's held out here, it gets to be so terrifying and scary, you don't even want to get near it. And yet, as you deal with it more and more, it, become, it becomes a closer reality to you. And it, it brings about changes that aren't all bad. In fact, they free you up in so many ways. I know that's happening for me, and it has happened. Um, and many people around me who do, do this incredible work, um, same thing. And we, there's an aliveness, an appreciation, a gratitude of life and a freedom um, that they didn't have before. And um, I really believe that it's very important to, to face the possibility that everybody's going to die, nobody's going to get out of this life alive, and there's no more running away. Now, I know people try, but that only causes negativity and trouble and fearfulness. I think as we face it, what we really begin to face is ourselves. And we can really come to a place that I think is so wonderful and so precious in this extraordinary reality, and that is becoming a more authentic you. Becoming a person who lives by the truth in life, um, doesn't waste his time too much on the things that aren't terribly important anymore. And the world is filled with all kinds of distractions of things that aren't really that important. Um, but this is a quality of life that we're forced to face, and many people are now. We have to really look at what's important in life and deal with it. We can't escape it. And I think out of that, a lot of good comes. But it's also a very agonizing process to go through that, to learn about death and dying. Ours, when it's going to come, we can certainly begin to realize we're all going to die. But also when we're dealing with loved ones and we hear about so many people who are dying from this virus, well, it's, it's Memorial Day. And what I am always touched by are the families and the loved ones of soldiers that come home terribly wounded and maimed from the horrors of war. And um, they have to live in such a debilitated state so much of the time. And a lot of their Injuries are a lifelong kind of injury, and they're very traumatic. What always strikes me, at least for me, is the courage that these people show, and they do go through some very difficult emotional states of discouragement and despair, 
about knowing they're never going to be able to walk again, they're not going to be able to stand again and sit again, and so many different terrible injuries. And yet out of that, you can see a certain kind of hope and positive attitude and renewal of strength in ways they never imagined would happen. I'm always extremely touched by that. But the other part that touches me are their loving caregivers. Now, I also know, because I have experience with this and helping folks, that not all the loved ones stick around. It, it's just, it's too overwhelming. They can't handle it. Um, they can't accept their loved one in that state, and they disappear, and they're not there. For those folks, I'm not even going to talk about that too much. What really moves me are the folks that stick around, the young wives, the children, the the moms and dads who, who are right at the, at, at the uh, dramatically injured vet's side through all the ups and downs that these folks go through and it's, it's horrendous many times. But to watch the gratitude and selfless love is, it's got to be, it's, it's something that people have got to look at and go, now how do they, how do they get there with these horrible injuries, this terrible loss? Their life, for the rest of their life, is going to be compromised. They're going to be taking care of a very wounded veteran um, who they loved once when they were really healthy and well and vibrant. And yet, the love that begins to show in the caregiving is so much more selfless and deeper and more matured. And uh, I saw something in the Memorial Day concert in Washington um, and I know I've seen it before because they have replays. And some of these beautiful young women, um, have, and they, their, their husbands leave, and they're handsome, and they're healthy, and they're well, and they come back, and they're in such bad shape. And these women show such a courage and such a selfless love that through it all, they have a certain kind of smile and depth of appreciating life and their loved one that you wouldn't have found before it happened. Um, we've treated some, we have been involved with families like that, and I have to tell you, it's moving every time. Um, it's not something you wind up feeling sorry for them for. What you do is you feel very, very um, inspired by them, as well as they need our help and our support. But at the same time, they don't. There's no give. There's no give up in the particularly the caregivers. Um, the folks that are, a lot of the veterans that are wounded, they do hit points where they just don't want to go on. They, it, it's terrible. What they're, and it, they all talk about, they just, they don't want to impact and burden others anymore. And uh, some points they don't want to go on. And yet it's these caregivers and loved ones that are right at their side, encouraging with love and care. And uh, they're not going anyplace. They're going to be there through it thick and thin. And uh, they're very, very inspiring people. And these are these aren't old, broken down old people facing no. death at the end of life. These are young, vibrant people. Not at people. all. Not at all. No. You're right. You're right. Very vibrant. We'll come back. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And today is Memorial Day. 
and uh, I, in our first segment, Peter really um, took time to talk about kind of the theme. We have a phrase for it sometimes, kind of the red thread. What is it that we see going through this time with the pandemic? And it does relate to Memorial Day veterans and their caregivers. And that is that these are difficult times. The pandemic, combat, service, difficult times. What can come from it for good? Um, it's what we've been calling an extraordinary reality and the value in facing it and that it's real. These hard things, these challenges are real. It can bring about changes in us, uh, a sense of aliveness, uh, Peter says, appreciation, gratitude, and a sense of, of freedom and knowing what matters that you can't have when you run away from difficult challenges like this. Uh, this can help you become a more authentic person, uh, more truthful, in, in, and you said it's an agonizing process, uh, and yet uh, it is how we grow. Uh, when we finished the first section, you were starting to talk about um, caregivers and the caregiving experience for veterans who return with wounds, either physical, emotional, or both. And we've worked with some uh, couples like that, some people like that, uh, who could uh, could walk away and don't. And don't. We've had both kinds. We've had both kinds. It's the ones that don't that are so inspiring. Well, you know, you talk about what is happening, but you know, in my mind when I watch when I watch some of these stories and uh, of what these folks go through, I ask myself. How do they get there? How do they reach that point of not just hanging in there, but actually looking like in some ways they're thriving and they're improving and maturing? And I'm talking primarily the caregivers and how infectious that is for the first person they're taking care of. And I ask myself as an observer, but as a person who also is interested in this and works in it and actually has some of the answers. You see, I have an, a good idea of how they do it. And um, it's a different state of fulfillment. And, um, you know, we've, we've read some papers, uh, Phil, that I, a psychologist that I remember in my master's days, getting my master's, his name was Daniel Goldman. And he was, uh, he was a psychologist and sociologist, too, at the time. And what I remember, and I just read, we just read a paper, an op-ed piece in, I don't, I don't know, New York Times or whatever, and he was, he was referenced, and that's eaten around a long time. And um, talking about just this thing, what is it um, that motivates people to be these caregivers, to be so selfless and giving, and how do they do it? Because what we learn from them can carry over into... We all need to know that now. Right now, more than ever, more we're than in ever. a crisis, and what we're seeing is too many people have no clue. No. And it's unfortunate, but we knew that was gonna happen. And it's actually a fragility in our society that people are have avoided it for so long, now that it's in their face. And They're it is... Unprepared. Unprepared. Unprepared to make this time uh, more, more positive, more productive, and not a disaster. And they don't know how to get there. No. Um, and this time, they don't have a whole lot of choice. It's in everybody's face. Right. So, you know, I look at that, and I remember Daniel Goldman talked about extrinsic 
motivators and intrinsic motivators. And can you kind of yes. give us the, the basics I'm of that? I'm going to because we call it tangibles and intangibles. That's papers we've written. We've written a lot about it. We've talked a lot about it. Others talk about internal motivations and external. But this is what Daniel Goldman said, but it's the same principle. Mm -hmm. Most of us, a lot of the time, live by external motivation. What does that mean? We're looking for doing things because we're going to get something out of it. Like a reward. Security award. People that work in corporations, it's a 401c, a 401s, the, um, and the monies they get, the security, the guarantees they get. For others, it's other things. Um, the homes we own, the prestige we have, the power, the money, um, all of that is based all on external variables. In other words, we do these things to receive something from an external source. Or possibly to avoid something that we don't want, like something negative happening. Being afraid that something negative will happen. Right. Right. It's right. fear-based, fear there's no question about it. Yeah. And a lot of times people who have, who have thought that they're really investing themselves in their life and their energy into things that are going to give them this security and protection. During these crises, we saw it in the last one too, only this one is much more widespread, um, we saw people losing the things that were going to give them security and they thought they were doing just fine and they'd done all the right things and they had the financial security, the jobs, the money, the homes, everything they wanted and it was taken away in a very short time. That recession, Through yes. no proof or fault of their own. Mm -hmm. Well, this one is even much broader because it, it involves health as well. Health and everyone is involved. All right. Right. And everyone is involved also with the financial. People who want to work, and there's millions of them, can't. I mean, the unemployment thing, I think we're at 30 million unemployment. It's, oh it's yeah. enormous. I've yeah. never heard it's, anything. It's, it's like kind of mind-boggling. I've never heard anything like this before. But what I, I look at, what, I'm, what we're really getting to is the external motivators are what most of us um, have wanted and, and gotten and, uh, pursue. until it's stripped away. And it's not by choice many times. But is that, would that be enough to carry us through difficult times? And the answer is absolutely not. In fact, those are the weaknesses, those are the fragilities and the vulnerabilities that are not good in these times. And a lot of times if people relied so much on that, they go into being not just fight or flight, but they freeze, they're petrified, they, grow, they get very depressed and discouraged and despairing, and they don't know what to do. They can't move forward, they're used to other people telling them what to do and acknowledging them, particularly corporate structure, and all of a sudden they don't have that and they have to stay at home yet. So they're, they're petrified and they sink into these very dark depressions that have probably been there all along anyway. But what happens is they're so used to that control over their life, the routines they, they've had, and the external motivators that they've, they've worked so hard for, and much of that is being stripped away. So you look at that and you go, well, would that be, able, would that be enough for these folks that we're watching, let's say right now, the loved ones who are taking care of their beloved who has been terribly maimed and wounded in war. Um, would that be enough? And the answer is those are the folks that are probably going to leave. If that's what they're emphasizing, their, their, their partner isn't going to be able to give them what they need anymore. They can't take it. Right. And um, they can't take the work it's going to take and the selfless sacrifices. 
um, so that you, they, they vanish. But what really is interesting is how many don't, and how many really become so deeply involved. And um, you got to ask yourself, and yet you see how fulfilled they seem to be, and enriched, um, and feeling good. And there, it, 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 it inspires me. It touches me, and I love seeing that. But then I ask myself, oh, people are asking, now, how do these people get to that place? Yes. What do they get out of this? This is not in external. So what is this? This is internal, intrinsic motivators, as Goldman talked about. What does that mean? It's a different motivator. It's a kind of motivator that is really the source of our true strength and fulfillment. Um, it has. It has nothing to do with people-pleasing. It has nothing to do with worrying about what other people think of us. Those are all, all external motivators. It has to do with doing things that actually are self-fulfilling. And uh, it, may, it may not be money at all. Uh, it may be other things, but it's so fulfilling. What, is that, what does that look like? It usually has to do with an altruism, a giving back to others, caring for others. Um, not necessarily worrying about what other people think at all be honest with you. And we're not there just to please others, although we want to help, so there is that element. But they, these people can't always get us accolades and good pats in the head. No. So we're giving selflessly, and we're putting out a lot of energy. And you got to ask yourself, well, I ask myself, and I know, I know some of the answer. Um, there's something more to all of this. How do you get to that selfless place? And it's an interesting thing because I also pay attention to the neurophysiology of this factor and uh, different parts of how the brain works. And um, the, the, the part that really benefits the most and is the most stimulated is the left side of the prefrontal cortex of the brain. And that side has to do with giving back, altruism, caring for others. Um, it's the thing that feeds on itself in the sense of it helps us be fulfilled and motivated to keep going. And instead of feeling bad, we feel really good. If we run up against a, if we run up against an obstacle in our efforts, it's amazing. Of course we have our frustrations and our anger, but the difference is we do something with it to find an alternative way to get what we need to do to help another person. I love that and I live by that myself. Doesn't mean we don't get frustrated, but the way we use our anger and frustration is to help others for the sake of others. It strengthens us in motivating us to keep going at this this uh, purpose that we have to help. And it's very and, uh, yeah, and it's it's very fulfilling. It feels really good to do. Yeah. And yet you got to ask yourself, well, why? What do you get out of it? And the answer is, well, externally we may not get anything, but internally we're getting this sense of healing and fulfillment that keeps us mm -hmm. resuscitated, restored, and resilient. Yes. That's the left side of the brain. The right side of the prefrontal cortex is exactly the opposite, where people collapse. They go to hopelessness and despair and discouragement, and they don't get out of, them, get out of their own way. They have nothing, they can't be altruistic, they can't give, they don't want to. They just go into this collapse, and there's no altruism at that in that place at all. It's exactly the opposite. And that builds as well. The more that you get into that pattern, you stay more on that side too. Just the opposite. It, it drains you and breaks you. Right. And there's where the depressions and the, uh, you know, despair and discouragement really come from. No good action is going to come out outside. Right. 
but when you you look at when you you don't have to look at well, well I, I want my brain to be stimulated don't worry about that it's when you start stepping outside of yourself and caring for others that's the that, that left side mm -hmm. is the side that gets triggered and stimulated. like it lights up right yeah and all of a sudden we're not doing just for others it's doing for us too we're being fulfilled and restored and finding resilience in the midst of it and I mean when I say fulfilled a way of loving and caring that you never would have found any other way. It usually does come with with hurdles of suffering and struggle and challenges and pain. And it's actually the more sometimes the more difficult the challenge is, and the more we have to be creative and finding a way. And once we decide we're not going to run, which is a normal part of us, but that doesn't mean everybody does. Um, and you sit and you stand and you turn around and you begin to engage with the problem and engage with the person who's in need. It's astounding the changes that it can bring about people. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our last segment, and again, uh, we're, today is Memorial Day, and uh, we are talking, certainly just in this last segment, about the role of a caregiver for, uh, say, a wounded veteran, or any caregiver. Um, what keeps them going and fulfilled and rewarded by what they do, or what can make them just run. Run or And uh, Peter was going through uh, the contrasting two motivations. One is external, where people are motivated to do what they do because they'll get something back. Uh, could be uh, financial, it could be security, it could be uh, status. Uh, status, power, or, or people-pleasing, that people will like them. Mm -hmm and contrasting that with some internal intrinsic motivation of what uh, what do we bring out of ourselves to give uh, what is meaningful and fulfilling to us personally from our heart and we were also talking about our, our brain and the sides of our brain that, that are associated with each of these types of motivation and behavior and how, how to think about pursuing things that are more rewarding and fulfilling and less depleting and despairing. Mm -hmm. right. uh, our expertise or our challenge in our life that we've, uh, we've embraced is for the folks that are internally motivated, that doesn't mean they don't have challenges. It's what you need to do to move through these challenges. And there's plenty of support out there. For, for, we have plenty of support. And I think one of them is finding people who are like-minded, who have more experience or know us and can support us with what we're going through. That really helps. To self-care is a completely different thing because if it's externally motivated, we're talking about selfish, selfishness and self-centeredness. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about internally and intrinsic motivators, and our old papers we talked about tangible material things right. versus the intangibles. Well. 
I think what's really different is it's not selfish at all. Yeah. It's if you want to really do a good job and stay f fulfilled and stay energized and restore and renewed so you can be there over so and over again. Keep it doing is, the work you're doing. And it's difficult work. Yeah. And that has to do with self-care. Um, self-care is something different. Also, well, how do you deal, deal with some of these hurdles that we do come up against as caregivers? Some of them are so overwhelming. Um, and I, you know, I look at that sometimes and I, they are overwhelming. And at the same time, what do we have to do? What do we begin to learn about those things? Or what do we begin to learn about ourselves? In other words, how do we learn to be motivated and creative? And also how to take care of ourselves with these really overwhelming things that happen that we're always, everybody's faced with. Um, that's a really, that's a really good subject, right, in, in and of itself because we do need to deal with ourselves and look at ourselves. If we're in this world that we're talking about, we're not talking about an easy life. And everyone really right now is in this world too with the pandemic. Well, they're challenged to be. They're not challenged. everybody is in it, no. no. I think everybody is faced with choices now. And this kind of realization and revelation, I don't think this comes because somebody tells you about it. It's something very, very personal. But what we're seeing is on a massive level, there's such a huge challenge and confrontation to choosing. Yes. And, you know, they talk about, well, we'll eventually come out of this crisis. Of course we will. Are we going to come out of it for the better or not? Well, I think for one of the things, the most meaningful, purposeful thing that we could find in this is who we really are, authentically really are, and, what, and to focus on what really matters and to discover our purpose in life and why we're put on this earth. It may be very different from what we've been doing before the pandemic. It, we may be having time now to reevaluate, painfully so, but reevaluate is what we're doing and the way we're doing it. Do we want to keep doing it that way? Is it really been the best thing? Um, these are very difficult questions and yet it's happening. Very practical questions. Well, it could be, yeah. But you know what? No, I don't think everybody's going to choose no. to... No, no, I don't. I think that many people, I hope they do, but I have no idea what people are going to do. But I know the folks that are motivated and move into this internally motivated place are going to come out of this so much better and find a deeper meaning and sense of purpose to their lives that will take them on for many years in spite of the difficult challenges that their life may have. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there's a, we're at a choice point for the masses. Do I know what they're, they're going to do? I don't. I know what I hope for, and I, I do. I hope for that. I also have a lot of hope and concern and caring for the people that are on the front lines right now, who do live in this extraordinary reality, because they are being so challenged and overwhelmingly confronted with things that are they're not going to always be able to do well out. They can't help it. No. Um, there's so much of that now, and it's in such a mass, massive, um, coming at them in such a massive way. And I look at that, and I go, that's, I care for these people. And I, I, look, I look to them, and I feel caringly for them. And I know these are tough times to just cope, to get through this. Um, we have a lot of friends that are para that are. Uh, first responders. They're my favorite, but they're also living their own little world, and that's the truth.
They are, they are um, what I call, they, are, they have a warrior mentality. And that mentality is they're going to tough it out and move through it. And they're, they're struggling with things that are confronting them that most of us wouldn't choose to do. And, um, but they also feel they've got to be tough and they've got to be strong and self-reliant. Self-reliant. And I understand that mentality. I, yeah. and you I, can have some respect for that. Uh, yes. But it can go too far. It can go too far. As, and especially as a, so, a culture, yeah. it's gone too far. Yeah. Because they live in their own protective cocoon. Now these people don't live protected, I don't mean that. They're out there doing things that most of us wouldn't want to go near. But as far as how they cope, there's a lot to be said. What really amazes me, I know the first responder world. I know when I come up with the barriers are that I come up against. I'm not a first responder. Um, and I've been, I, like I said, a lot of my friends are first responders and I love them. I, I know them personally. Well, you know, reading a lot of these papers lately and talking to people, I'm not the only one who knows how difficult they are to reach. It's a well-known fact yeah. that these people try to be tough, they've got to be invulnerable, and they're afraid that if they let go, that they're going to just crash and they aren't going to be able to put themselves They'll back fall together. They'll apart and they won't be functional And they won't anymore. be reliable. Yeah. So that meant that we've seen it with, I saw it in the Navy SEALs um, when we worked with them, and they're pretty, the people we knew are pretty remarkable. And the truth of the matter is that mentality has taken many of them, we've seen it, we've worked with them, to a point where they really do eventually crash and burn out. And we're reading about that, um, there's an article we talked about in our last podcast, number 77, uh, definitely seeing that in the medical professionals and first responders now who are working so, uh, so intensely with pandemic patients and the concern by their uh, the their supervisors, by the other people they're working with them, they see them uh, starting to break down and wanting to reach them somehow, and feeling like they can't get through. They can't make, get through this culture of barrier of being self reliant. Well, you're talking about supervisors, right? Well, or whoever is is kind of maybe it's not the supervisors. Maybe it's the people who are there trying to help with the. Uh, people cope and keep them going. Okay, because there's two different things. I think one of the things that happens is in the, during that time, people start feeling abandoned and alone in their struggles. Yeah. And instead of the higher-ups taking the time to take care of their people and to realize this is unbearable and they've got to have some time to let down, they've got <coughs> to be understood, they've got to be appreciated, they've got to be um, somebody's got to be there for them, not just their peers, although that's very, very important, but they got to know that they're, the people above them do care. And they're not, these folks are not just um, expendable. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's always happening. In fact, I think it's not. And that's a problem because there's a trauma that comes out of that called the aband abandonment trauma, and I do believe it's real. Or betrayal. That the betrayal. That I'm too. sorry. The betrayal. The betrayal. I, yeah. Yeah. I, to me, I associate that with abandonment. And they're, they're, yeah. I'm there too. And I think it's very real. Yeah. I do. There are supervisors that are excellent and really tune into their people and take care of them and want to. Mm -hmm. So I'm certainly not talking about them. They're the best. But I'm talking about the other folks that don't, and there are many. And at this time, those, those, that discrepancy is really showing itself. It is. Yeah. Um, 
this is a this is a, I do believe the people in the front lines, the first responders, are our heroes now. They are in the front. They are in the war, um, and it's an overwhelming kind of thing that they're witnessing. Talking about seeing life and death in the battle, they're they're getting. They're there all the time. They're getting there. Just it's just crushing numbers that are coming on them, and it breaks their hearts. Yeah. Well, one of the things I've seen with a lot of first responders is when we talk about pushing the. Um, pause button. They push the off button. They're off. So they're not going to get into it at all, and they're not going to get into it afterwards, and they're not going to take care of themselves. No, they're going to hope that they bury it, they hope it stays there. Or they're going to drink themselves. Alcohol is a big deal in, in drugs. Right. That's a very poor way to cope. The truth is that the level of trauma, uh, of distress, just keeps growing on itself. Yeah. Those aren't the folks that stay resilient. Uh, those are the ones that fall apart. And then they don't become reliable. On the contrary, the folks that do have this ability to push that pause button we always talk about, mm -hmm. and they really can respond in the moment. In the moment, exactly what's needed. But they know they're being affected. They yeah. feel they're tuned into themselves and their body and how they're taking on the energy of these traumatic situations, and that they're going to have to take some time. We call it taking some time to let down emotionally and get rid of what they've accumulated. Mm -hmm. Those folks stay very resilient. Most of the time, those are not the ones that collapse and aren't reliable. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that come back stronger mm -hmm. and more dependable most of the time. So we're seeing these kinds of issues coming up more and more. And uh, we look at it as it's one of our life's callings to support these folks and help them and teach them and coach them and consult with them and help them recover from this. We also look at it as the sooner we can get to them, the better it off they are. Mm -hmm. um, because we don't want to, long term, it's much harder to deal with the damage done. If we can get to it at the time when it's still fresh, we can get them through it quicker. And, and we can keep them on their feet and send them back. Send them back and also prevent uh, a possible down the road physical illness and relationship damage and the really, Burnout. really significant yeah, absolutely. consequences. So we, we are committed to helping those You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Peter and I are here today on Memorial Day, and we're just uh, coming to the last segment of our uh, podcast today, and we've been talking about, just in the last segment, about um, how do caregivers, first responders, stay resilient on the job uh, amidst the incredible stress and challenge, uh, the importance of self-care, the importance of pushing what we call the pause button, staying with the situation, doing what needs to be done, but knowing at the same time that they are taking on a, a very deep level of emotional distress that they will need to take care of later. Yeah, and I, I do relate it back to uh, Memorial Day caregivers. I, I do. I, this is a time to me that I usually am deeply touched. I hope more people, I hope a lot of people are to see what these folks, these loved ones who become caregivers, 
to see what they do go through, to see what their children go through, and to see something come out of these folks that is astounding and it's inspiring because they're so invested and they're so, when you look at it from an outside, you just ask yourself, how could they do this day after day? Yeah. We're talking about the ways it can be done and how to help these people and also what we all can learn from them, especially during this time when we're all faced with this extraordinary reality. What is it really that we've talked to, we see how fearful people are. We see how distrustful they have become at times, especially in the beginnings of it. Um, we see that they don't know what they're doing. They've been avoiding it for so long. Mm -hmm. They but don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. And, to and them they it's don't just, maybe even want to look at what it might mm -hmm. be. That's the way of it. Yeah. But what we can learn from these folks that have been loved ones and caregivers to our veterans mm -hmm. who have come back terribly maimed and, and broken, and to watch the inspiring life of these folks unfold. Yeah, let's talk about that for, for those who are listening today. What can we learn from their example? What can we take away? Well, I think we're looking at courage over weakness and uh, uh, running away. We're looking at veterans who are faced with horrendous losses of limbs and, and uh, active parts of their life, who feel burdened about what they're putting on their families. We've worked with some who they wanted to just you said, leave me, don't stay with me, exactly. I, will, I will ruin your life, is basically how And we've seen that. And we've also seen these remarkable caregivers go, no. No way. I'm, we're here, I love you, and I'm going to work this out with you, and we're going to stay together. That doesn't mean it's going to be an easy road. In fact, it's very difficult. But yet, if you watch these people that do that, mm -hmm. and learn, ones who learn all the different things they have to do to take care of themselves, to keep this resilience going and the hope and the restoration, well, you can learn a lot. Um, I, I was watching the commemorative last night and uh, one fellow had been shot in the neck and he was a paraplegic after that. And beautiful wife, he was a handsome guy. She stuck by him through his, and he talked about the incredible challenges that he faces every day of his life. And you know what, they're, what they're, he and his wife are doing? And we know a couple that did this. Uh -huh. They're opening up a rehab facility for people that are suffering with the same kind of injuries he is. Right. Tell me that doesn't, we worked with a Navy SEAL couple, a young couple. Yes. They did the same thing. Exactly the same. Same thing. In mm -hmm. fact, this beautiful couple, uh, they would never be able to have children. They've adopted two newborns since then. Um, um, they opened up their new rehab. The facility he was part of, I'll never forget this, wasn't making money and the doctor abandoned it. Mm -hmm. They took it over and made it into a nonprofit for not just veterans, but all people suffering from similar kind of injuries. Yes. And they've been very inspiring and they're very inspired. They're a great, beautiful couple. Um, but I watched the same kind of mentality on these, watching these veterans. And I've seen many stories, I've had many friends of mine um, who have done the same kind of thing. They just find a courage to go on in the new way and to work with their handicaps and their disabilities and so do their loved ones. And it's a different kind of life, no question about it. And yet these folks have a deeper love and appreciation and gratitude for every day of their life. And I love seeing that. I know I experience that too. I have loved ones that are that I've taken care of. One of my wife right now is 
coming to the end of her life and a very active, beautiful woman and we're taking care of her. And frankly, it's amazing to me that I've been a pretty good person and caring and loving. I've always loved her and adored her. But what really amazes me is I'm becoming a better man the deeper she goes into this because I've discovered a way to be grateful and to be selfless in my love for her. And it's, she can't give me anything back anymore. And yet, I almost don't care. This is the internal that we were talking That's about right. earlier. It doesn't mean it doesn't, it doesn't, there's not pain involved. It doesn't mean, I'm not saying that. In fact, there's plenty of pain involved. There's grief involved. But at the same time, it's part of my life. And this is the people I care about. And this isn't the only one I'm taking care of. But it's the one that means the most to me. And I'll tell you what, if she's breathing and her eyes are open in the morning, my day is made. Um, now that she can't talk, she talks almost not at all anymore. She can't see, she's, she's bedridden. And yet, the littlest things mean a lot to me, as well as soon as the other, when I watch the deterioration. That gets to me too. Oh, yes. You're human. It's very much so. And one of the things that I realize is there's not much more I can do for her. And yet there's part of me that always wants to find some way, if I can, to turn this around. So what I look at is the same thing we're all confronted with as caregivers, and that is we don't always have control over what we're facing, yeah. particularly when you're dealing with death and dying and terrible disabilities that we are faced with the idea, we, it's not an idea, we don't have control. No. And that's a very hard thing to come to grips with. Caregivers are forced to go through much deeper changes and a more, they become more authentic, more real and truthful and loving than they'd ever been before because they have to be. And that does it, so that means they're gonna feel the impact of these things that are going on with their loved ones and people are taken care of. There's no, no one saying you can be, you're not feeling it, but it's how resilient you can become mm -hmm. and how to find and discover the ways to stay resilient. And that's what we're committed to with others as well as ourselves. As ourselves. It's an ongoing process. This is a, now, now I got it. But when I think about this Memorial Day, I think about this, this dovetails beautifully into what we do and what we speak about all the time. Um, the internal motivators, the things that really make us find, help us find fulfillment, find our own well-being and health in the midst and in spite of these things, mm -hmm. we're committed to that. We're committed to helping people understand their bodies more and read the stress and how it's affecting them and then what to do about it. My life's work is committed to helping them with that because it can be a deadly thing if you don't know what to do. Um, so good intentions aren't enough. It's, gonna, it's a real challenging type of work, and yet it's probably the most fulfilling work I've ever seen or done in my life. Mm -hmm. I look at this time and say we all can learn if we open our eyes and our hearts now and not get negative and don't feel defeated and discouraged, but look at this as a time of hopefulness. For the folks that live who are, have always been tuned in to please others, and they live to please others and make everybody happy, believing that's going to fulfill them. I assure you, that will not fulfill you. And that's an external motivator type of life. You may be good people, but honestly, you'll never find fulfillment from that. 
The fulfillment will come when you come to a place within yourself of feeling so good about what you're doing for somebody. Not in the sense of that's what your your main thing that motivates you. It's just that's one of the strongest byproducts of caring for others in need and giving to others. And also, if you're struggling and suffering, go take a look around. You'll discover other people suffering more than you and having a tougher time. And that also gives you that perspective of, I don't have much time to feel sorry for myself. And when I do take a look, look around, there's a lot of people suffering a lot more than I do. Yeah. All of these things are mechanisms that have to do with that renewal process, that resiliency process. And it, bottom line is, we're all coming to the point of facing death and dying, and that, no, we're not going to be here forever. If anything has come out of this COVID-19 this COVID mm -hmm. uh, crisis, it's, if the crisis, if the, COVID, if the virus doesn't get you, at least it makes you wake up to the fact that something else will eventually, and you don't have to walk around being fearful and negative. We're never, we're all going to die someday. But we don't have to live in terror and fear of it and run the other way. It's almost the closer you get to it, the more freedom you find to live a more full and rich life and to focus on what really matters. And what matters. Yeah. And I believe that this Memorial Day fits that perfectly. And um, I love it. It's a always been a special day for me. Um, but I see it's a pretty special day for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know where we are in this show. We're supposed to be entertaining today. But our manager, we had a manager at the radio station says, we got to learn to be more entertaining. I don't know how entertaining we've been today. But I hope we've offered you hope and encouragement and a way of feeling good in spite of the difficulties you're having and challenges that you're having. I don't have a crystal ball about what your future will hold. But I'll tell you this. There's one thing that you can consider looking at, and that's your spiritual life. Because doesn't mean religiosity, but all of us have that spiritual side to us. These are the times that it brings that out. And it's a time to look at that and evaluate that and see where you are with that as well. That's another important thing. Absolutely. That comes out of this time. The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies on donations from people like you. And if what we've done today has benefited you, please consider donating to sctraumatreatment.org. Uh, also, uh, we have our website, thesurvivorsguidetolife.com, where you'll find all our podcasts, which are also uh, in video form on YouTube. So please visit our Facebook page, our Instagram, and like and share. Uh, you can find more information uh, from us and some resources there at our website, or you could call or email me. I'm Jenny at BernsteinInstitute.com. Uh, our number is 707-781-3335, and we just launched a GoFundMe campaign for SCTT that will help support this podcast and also other work that the nonprofit is doing to support caregivers. Thank you. Thank you, and be well. Um, I hope this is a special day for you as it is for us.